and welcome to the Boundless Book Club. As always, you've got me, Andrea. Ahlam. And Annabelle. And today we have a guest with us. Sarah Hamdan is the editor of Think with Google Mina, but you might know her from the jealousy-inducing blog holidaysinheels.com. Sarah, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. And honestly, right now, it's more like holidays to my fridge. <laughs> <laughs> That's very relatable. Today, we're going to be talking about two of our favorite topics, travel and books. So sitting here in sunny Dubai, one of the world's favorite tourist destinations, we have beaches, shopping, lots of fantastic dining options and entertainment. So there are lots of ingredients that people look for in a holiday. So I want to ask you, our listeners, what you want from a holiday. Please do send us your comments on social media or an email to comms at emirateslitfest.com for a chance to win a selection of books handpicked for their stunning settings. Now, I want to ask you, Sarah, what makes a holiday for you? Where do you want to travel and which books would take you there? I think for somebody who's always loved travel, and as you mentioned, I have a travel blog, it's, um, it's a form of escape and it's a place where you feel like you have time to yourself and to have new experiences. So it's funny that you mentioned we live in a beautiful sunny spot with beaches, and yet that's what I am drawn to when I do go on vacation anyway. So okay that I stayed here this summer due to the pandemic. I grew up in Greece, so for me, the beach uh, is something that's uh, a happy place. It always has been. And I feel so lucky to have this dynamic now where I'm in Dubai. We have the beach year round, and then I get to go to Greece to visit my parents over the summer. But really, it's just I, I seek out new destinations and books, maybe uh, cultures that I haven't experienced before. Sometimes I'll read about places and it'll whet my appetite to visit them. Uh, everything from far flung to neighboring cities. So it's really far and wide, I would say. It's impossible to choose a place. It's like asking for a favorite song. Yeah. What about you, Akram? I'm just going to say, like, living in Dubai, we're so spoiled for choice. And with Emirates being so connected to so many destinations direct, we're used to traveling multiple times a year. And this year has just shown us how much we took for granted, I think, <laughs> with travel, because we're just used to doing it. Uh, uh, lucky to be able to do it a lot more regularly than people who live in different other parts of the world where it might take them a lot longer to get there and uh so it's it's really got us to reflect this year but i'm really missing greenery and that kind of nature uh which we don't have over here you know we do have like mangrove trees and gaff trees but we don't have that lush forest and cool breeze and wildlife of, of that sort that that we really miss and when we travel we go for long walks uh in parks and that's what i'm really really missing this summer Sarah, you talk about the fact that uh, even though you live here and there's, you know, beaches and you're still drawn to that when you go traveling. And I just wondered, so when you pick up a book that's got a beach description or a beach setting, do you immediately go, oh, I'm at home, you know, this is where I'm supposed to be? Or is that something that you want to like move away from when you're reading fiction or nonfiction? When it comes to fiction, I just don't discriminate. Like I'll read anything, not just fiction. I'll, I'll read cereal boxes. I'll read whatever you throw at me. Um, so I'm very open to it. And I think the pleasure of reading comes with brand new experiences that maybe you don't have access to. So um, even settings that took place decades ago in a certain city that you know or something like that, it just gives this extra element that you may not be able to experience otherwise. Um, 
for me, because of my background and where I grew up, I think the beach is just always, it's a place where nothing bad can happen. <laughs> it's just a very happy place. And it evokes this, you know, the smell of suntan lotion and the feeling of sand. I feel like it's a very visceral experience. So when I read about it, I respond very strongly to it. And um, when I go on vacation, I tend to pick up books that deal with beaches, even if it's something very light, like a light read, like Hotel Babylon. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. Um, it takes place in a hotel, but the sequel takes place in the Maldives. Very silly kind of gossipy light read. Um, it's, it's just a familiar territory, but that doesn't mean that I don't enjoy books that take place in, you know, skiing somewhere in the snow or, yeah, I just don't discriminate. It's just something I can relate to more, I guess. It's funny that you really like the description of, of like the feel of sand because there are a couple of people in my life that would absolutely detest that. Yeah, and a lot of people hate it. A lot of um, my friends who have young children say that they don't go to the beach because of that reason. They prefer pools, but... <laughs> It's just such a big part of my childhood, I guess. And yeah. how can you hate sand? I mean, you can make sand castles out of it, and <laughs> it's warm and it's cold. It's full of surprises. You can find little crabs that burrow in there. I mean, when I do write a book one day, there is definitely going to be a beach scene. I'll put it that way. <laughs> For me, um, I'm a very nostalgic person. I think a lot of Arabs are. <laughs> we always talk about the past. We love the past. But <laughs> so for me, the kind of travel that I'm going to talk about today is sort of time travel. So it's more going back into like a state that I never experienced, but I always heard about from my mother and her sisters where I think, and I think Arabs have this in common where you have this old Arabian house and then you would go and put the farshe or a frosh like we call it in, in Emirati, which is like the bedding on the rooftop. And then you would sleep on the rooftop at night watching the stars with the, with the storyteller, Amazing. whether it's your mom or grandma. What a beautiful tradition. What time of year would you do this? Or would they do this? I think they would do it in the summer, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I could be wrong. Because uh, I, I think in the winter, they would go like to the, like if they had two or three floors in the house, they would go to the bottom where it's warmer. Mm. So I think this was a summer thing that they would do where the stars are clear as well. And it wouldn't rain on them. <laughs> but, uh, but I just always like fantasized about that setting. And so I picked this book called uh, Pearls on a Branch by Nejla Jresati Khouri. She's also the wife of a really famous Lebanese author called Elias Khouri. So this book is uh, a selection of oral uh, tales uh, of generations of what you know Arab women told to their children and it says it's stories told by women to girls and it's about women as well and and so there's a lot of you know interesting themes in in the stories but it's you know the women always come out as the heroine some somehow even though uh they've been through a lot of struggle but Najla basically traveled during the civil war across Lebanon to le Palestinian refugee camps and they would perform little like puppet shows and uh, tales from from Arabian women and 30 of them were selected for this book and it's just the simplicity of how the the supernatural or magical things happen in their everyday life when storytelling is like a part of their their, their daily life and it's so you know in Arabic storytelling you know how you say uh, once upon a time in Arabic storytelling you say uh, kan ya ma kan it either was or it wasn't so you're not confirming what it is. So you say, kan ya ma kan fi qadim zaman in the olden days. So it either was or it wasn't. 
in the older days. So you're kind of not committing, but you're just saying this happened or didn't happen, but I'm going to tell my story. And it's just such a, you know, unapologetic way of bringing the supernatural into your daily life and getting kids to dream about all these amazing stories. And I really, really recommend them because it's stories of like kings and viziers and queens and shopkeepers and animals and Bedouins and everybody interacts with each other in this amazing, like anything is possible. And there's always like a moral and, and the, you know, there's, there's rhymes and the stories like connect to each other in, in, in such an amazing way. Simple, but also really, really uh, extraordinary. I'd really recommend this book if you want to travel back in time. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Sounds wonderful. Yeah, can you remind us of the title? Yeah, the title is Pearls on a Branch Oral Tales by Nejla Jiresati Khuri. So it's a translation. And where did you get this? Just at a bookshop. I think I got it at uh, Kinokunia or something like that. <laughs> I, I think I need this. I feel so nostalgic just hearing you say Kenya Makan Shakodim Zaman. It's um I feel like uh, oral storytelling is such a big part of our tradition and especially through women and you know, sharing what they've been through and what their ancestors have been through. It's the way that we find out a lot of our history because a lot of it yeah. wasn't written down anyway. Um and it yeah. does have this kind of uh, magical realism element that I've always always loved to your point I feel like just hearing you talking about it and describing the setting before with the mattress on the roof I feel like I'm kind of there already it's really really yeah. lovely this is one yeah. I'll put on my to be red pile for sure definitely it's it's a good one for like the child within all of us so definitely recommend it I was wondering before the podcast today who was going to do the travel back in time thing because <laughs> I knew one of us was going to find the loophole <laughs> but I had that question as I was looking through my choices and thinking about what we all might choose because there, there are so many books where I think particularly cities like Paris and New York and places like in London even where you associate them not with the city that they are now but say Sherlock Holmes's London or mm -hmm. New York in the 50s I'm, I'm thinking more of Mad Men now um, rather yeah. than literature <laughs> but I was thinking Austin it, Powers in London in the 60s <laughs> <laughs> different frames of reference mm -hmm. but yeah I just I wondered how much of what we are drawn to in terms of fiction making us want to travel places do you want to be in New York or like me do you want to be in New York at Christmas in the Will Ferrell movie <laughs> Elf I, I don't necessarily think I want to go and like have a holiday in New York City or in any city I think I just specifically want to be in that story's version of that city at that specific time and True. I don't do you do you feel that way about any particular location and have you then gone somewhere and been let down completely because it's not what you thought it would be good question for me there's always been this voyeuristic element where you get to experience it through somebody else's eyes and maybe see things, witness things that you may not have noticed. When you were speaking, I was thinking about A Movable Feast, which is that Ernest Hemingway classic. It takes place in Paris. And you kind of, for any aspiring writer like myself, you kind of want to be like him and his cool artistic friends sitting at the cafe and uh, breaking bread together and 
dipping it in the olive oil and talking about all these fantastic creative things with Picasso's muse and all of that. This is not something that I would ever be able to do myself. It's his Paris and I love getting a glimpse through his eyes because he's a master of what he does. So I think there's that element of um, taking you out of your life completely and seeing something very, very different that you can't even get through film, I feel, because when you're reading someone's writing, you're in their head. And I find that so beautiful. It's one of my favorite things about reading. Yeah, I literally booked a Paris trip after Midnight in Paris. <laughs> I've done it in my life, so I completely relate. Yeah, I ended up doing a writing course in Paris just because I wanted to be like him. <laughs> <laughs> there was an episode where you spoke about, I can't remember who it was, Ahlam, but you spoke about a book you're reading and how the group of friends were just having the best time and they had the best conversations. And I was thinking of that, that sometimes it's not necessarily the location, but you kind of wish that you were part of that conversation that had those friends and like you were at the table during this movable feast and, you know, tasting what they were tasting. Yeah, it's a feeling, it's an experience that you kind of want to be a part of. And the more, I think, the more the writers actually bring to life the senses and the, the you know, details of that experience, the more it makes you want to be in that moment or within the setting. One of my favorite bookshops in London is this bookshop called Dawn Books, where they have sort of a, they have a normal fiction section, they have a normal nonfiction section, and then the rest of the entire store is laid out by countries. So if I'm traveling to... India, I can go to the India section and find like poetry from India and novels set in India and all this stuff. So you could just completely immerse yourself in your destination. And I absolutely love that because it's not, it's, you don't have to know where a book is set and you don't have to have a recommendation, which you don't always have when you're planning a trip. And then you can just get a little bit of that experience of what it's like to actually have a life in the destination where you're going. So you come to it with a whole different understanding, which I love. That's awesome. And that's kind of like, you know, it solves the diversity issue that we, we've been talking about in that then you become more conscious in that what section are you reading from the most? If it was laid out like that, di very diverse, so you'd be very aware of what you're picking up. And I love that. And it also makes you aware of how few novels are published in certain parts of the world as well, or from there in English, mm -hmm. which I guess has lots of reasons. But, but I remember traveling to Sri Lanka and looking for novels set there and not finding an awful lot. So that's an opportunity for you to write one then. <laughs> but should it be me or should it be someone from Sri Lanka? A collaboration. Mm. <laughs> yeah. You said Sri Lanka? Yes. Have you got one? <laughs> Martin Vikramasinghe selected short stories. <laughs> Excellent. I, I picked it up from the Martin Vikramasinghe Museum in Sri Lanka. Ah, yes, that one. You can you can borrow it if you like. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome. So tell us about tell us about the books that you guys have selected for the theme today. Andrea, what about you? Let's start with you. I've got a I've got a two for one. Ooh. So Jessica Jarvley, who is a wonderful author who writes sort of domestic, well, cozy crime, I guess you'd say, recommended this book to me uh, because I was talking about my ongoing obsession with Svalbard. I would love to go and see polar bears. Yes. High five. Same. Amazing. Yeah. I think that'd be amazing. Yeah. I feel like the children would like that too. I mean, it, it's such a fascinating place. It's, I've been reading about it, reading articles on Google and various things. And they, they have like six months of the year where they don't see 
they don't see sun, but also six months of the year where the sun does not set. So mm. imagine living there, you would absolutely go mental and in a very serious way. So they have this little town, which is called Longyearbyen, which is the northernmost uh, settlement for humans, permanent settlement. And everybody leaves their doors unlocked in case you need to run inside to get away from polar bears. Like, oh my that gosh. just blows my mind. So I'm getting to the book that I've chosen, which is called The One Memory of Flora Banks, which is written by Emily Barr, who you might be familiar with because she has actually written a lot of novels that are part of that sort of travel backpack genre. She wrote a book called Backpack, which was a typical backpack crime novel with, uh, you know, someone going on the Southeast Asia Trail. And this is her first young adult novel, which it's about a teenage girl who lives in England, in Cornwall, who's got, oh gosh, I've completely forgotten the proper term for it. She's got the type of amnesia that means that she cannot form new memories, which she's had since she was 11 and now she's a teenager. It's a real type of amnesia. So she can remember what happened up until she was 11 and then she will form memories that will disappear within a few hours so she remembers her best friend but she doesn't remember the teacher in school for example and terror grade amnesia yes thank you that's the one so she has no lasting memories until one day she kisses a boy at a party and she remembers it the next day so she then has this very strange uh, sensation of having a memory which she hasn't had before and she obviously thinks this is connected to him he is her best friend's boyfriend who's going to Svalbard to study at the Svalbard Insti Institute and she believes that her ability to form memories is connected to him so she finds a way to follow him to Svalbard and I'm going to leave it there uh, but it's just like it's just amazing if you if this is a location that you're really interested in to to read a fictional account of course but of someone who arrives there completely fresh not knowing anything she wears like a, a cotton dress and some tights and arrives <laughs> in Svalbard and there's snow everywhere and it's summer and the sun doesn't set and she has this really weird experience of sort of not knowing what time it is or where she is and and it's amazing that sounds fascinating what year is this set it's like now. Okay. There's inexperienced and then there's not checking Google weather before you go. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, she was 11 the last time she formed a memory. Even so. I... Even so. Do you think the author traveled there or is from there? Or like yes. How... Yeah. Yeah. She, she, um, apparently she was also obsessed with Svalbard. So she's traveled there on holidays and so on. And then she wrote this, this, um, YA novel and I'm not used to reading this type of YA so I kept expecting something really awful to happen but but it's quite nice and gentle and are there polar bears do they feature in the book important question a few a few asking the real <laughs> questions <laughs> I know you have a second book do you want to talk about your second book together so my second book is just backpack because we're talking about travel and mm -hmm. I did read Backpack back in the day when I think it might have just come out and I had just been on the Southeast Asia Trail because, you know, mm -hmm. that was what people did at the time. And and that, for me, has lots of, like, weird nostalgia tied into it. You yeah. know, I, I, I remember going to 
to Vietnam and wondering where the glamorous people were <laughs> because I was young and dumb. <laughs> Did you find them? <laughs> no, but you know, I think what I think what you learned from this from this uh, novel is that the glamorous people are not important. It's uh, it's what's inside that matters. Drag <laughs> <Chip laughs> drop. Um, and I think it's it's important that you listen to what's inside. And I'm going to come back to cold places shortly. You asked, what do you look for in a holiday? Yes. And we're talking about kind of books that tie into that. And yes, I read quite widely. And so if I am reading a fiction or a nonfiction book that describes kind of a really great sense of place, my first thought is, well, that sounds like an interesting place to visit. I don't have that as much with cities because you know what you were saying, Ahlam, about kind of the let's put COVID to one side for now, but the accessibility of various cities from particularly yeah. where we live in Dubai, the, the world is literally our oyster. So when it comes to armchair travel, I like reading about, you know, places like say Svalbard or deserted islands or just crazy epic adventures, whether travel memoir or fiction, because there are fewer and fewer places that are kind of untouched and left to explore, but there are a handful where you know that you're not necessarily going to visit in your lifetime. And though that is quite sad, at least we have, you know, books. So I was, I was thinking about this and thinking about what book to choose. And I've actually just started this. This is 60 Degrees North by Maliki Talak. And Ahlam, I, I don't know if this is a problem that you have, but Every year for the festival, there are authors' books that I buy that year, and then I don't get the chance to read until about two years later. Guilty. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Does that happen to you as well, Andrea? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so this is my catch-up read, and it's just been absolutely wonderful. So I'm going to read you a little excerpt and give you a bit of context. So Malachi Talak lives in Shetland, so north of the UK. And this all starts, this journey that he takes on the 60th parallel north, which runs through Canada, Greenland, etc. It all starts kind of two months after his father passes away. So there's Mm -hmm. an emotional catalyst for the journey that he takes. So if that is something um, that speaks to you when you're reading nonfiction, like there needs to be some kind of emotional journey to it as well. It's a great book to read. If you're just in it for the travel and the description and the sense of place, that's all there as well. So this is where he, he goes to Canada And there's this wonderful passage where he says, For most in Canada, the North remains alien, a neighbor, but a stranger. Many dream of it, but few ever wake up there. It is a place read about in books, seen in films and on television, but rarely visited. Viewed from afar, the region is tangled in contradictions. North means danger and adventure, but it also means refuge. It offers possibility and fear, beauty and horror. It is almost empty of people, and yet overflowing with their imaginings. That particular passage I wanted to read because I remember last podcast, Ahlam, where you were talking about, we were talking about hope and you were talking mm-hmm. about Alain de Botton. Yeah. And rem- the School of Life, I think. School of Life, yes. yeah. Right. So there was a whole section of that where you were talking about one of the weird contradictions about human beings is that we want the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I loved his reference here to contradiction because I feel like that comes up when it comes to travel. And I noticed that when I was 
looking through all these books as well is that ultimately my goal for a holiday is not anything relaxing and I've learned that the hard way because I've gone on those holidays where I've planned like 10 days of relaxation and by the second day I want (laughs) to scream (laughs) I feel like experiences and the weird stuff that you don't plan for are kind of the highlights of a trip the ones that really push you out of your comfort zone yeah and so I like reading books that talk about that, that push and that pull, that sense of wanting to be in a comfortable five-star hotel and enjoying that, but also somewhere deep down wanting to be thrown into like a really dangerous adventure at the same time <laughs> and constantly like wrestling with that whenever you make holiday plans. It's such yeah. a difficult balance to find. You're like, I want to go and just be one with nature, but I want to be comfortable yeah. and somewhere clean and... <laughs> It's just so difficult to have all of those things. I think that sounds really beautiful. Um, For us, the way that we manage to work around that is I'm a big planner. So I'm the type who make an annoying itinerary that takes the fun out of a holiday because I want to know where I've booked, (laughs) you know, which play and what restaurant we're going to see and all that. So to make the most of the time, right? Exactly. Because I don't want to miss out. I have this fear of missing out. And you're going Mm -hmm. to this destination. You've made this effort. So I'll do that and for half the holiday. And then my husband is in charge of the remaining days where he does nothing. <laughs> and then it ends up being really spontaneous. That's where the dangerous element comes in, a bit of the nature. Um, so yeah, sometimes having someone else whose travel habits are different than yours play off of what you're planning can end up having like really, really amazing experiences. True. We're the same too. I'm always the one with the GPS in my hand. And he's like, what's the worst that could happen if we got lost? You have a list in your head of all the terrible things that could happen. (laughs) Exactly. So moving on from Svalbard and polar bears, what do you have for us, Zara? Where are you taking us? I have the polar opposite of polar bears. So I'm taking you to the beach. Uh, I initially chose, you like that little pun? Just for I you. <laughs> I initially chose this book uh, for superficial reasons because I like the red dress and it's a Reese Witherspoon book club choice. It's called Next Year in Havana by Chanel Cleeton. Uh, it takes place in Cuba, which is a place I've always wanted to visit. As an American, it's a place I haven't been able to visit easily in the past. So it's always had this kind of forbidden allure, I think. And it's got the beach, which, as you know, is a big part of my life. Um, I've always also loved salsa music, Cuban music. So I feel like it just ticks a lot of boxes for me. I might want to go there and not come back. (laughs) Um, So what better way to experience it than through a book? Uh, So this one... I, I have slight mixed feelings about it, if I'm honest. I really enjoyed the travel element, which is why I thought it was useful to discuss with you guys. It's about a um, woman named Marisol who goes back to Cuba to understand her grandmother's past. Her grandmother passed away and apparently had a secret love that the family didn't know about. And it, uh, her experience answers a lot of questions about differences in their family and things like that so I won't give too much away but it's got this you know very interesting uh, tragedy set against the backdrop of war-torn Cuba so what I really loved is all these beautiful descriptions of the beach yes but also of a city uh, an island that's kind of seen hardship a lot of decline but there's a strong resilience to people and I think as Arabs we can relate to a lot of that 
there's a lot of very beautiful travel writing in particular that I like. So I'll just read you a really short passage if that's okay. So she's walking along the Malecon for the first time, which is a long stretch of uh, sand against, it's like a walkway that's next to the most famous beach. And she's saying, teenagers congregate, laughing and joking around, young couples stroll hand in hand, their walk punctuated by the occasional kiss. Ice cream vendors pepper the landscape. Farther afield, people fish off the seawall. One day, will all the building, beautiful old buildings be torn down and replaced with high-rise condos, touting this unparalleled view of the Caribbean? So when you read something like that, you're like, I want to book my ticket right now. I have to see it before it all goes away. And to Ahlam's time travel point, you get a really nice mix of modern-day Havana, as well as the grandmother's 1940s or 1950s Havana. So I think it does a really beautiful job of that. My main criticism of this is that the love story felt really cheesy. It almost felt as if, you know, it was thrown in there because every good story needs a good love story. Yeah, but they need to be good. Yeah, it needs to feel real. And this one didn't. It was kind of like they are drawn together really quickly and there isn't time for it to develop. And then there are just really cheesy lines like this one. Says here. Oh, I was aware of his body taking up space on the car's bench seat, bench seat next to me. The gap between the whisper of my dress floating in the breeze. I mean, give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> so when you when you read stuff like that, you're like, it doesn't compare to the travel elements and all this research and extra work that was putting put into the world building in this novel. And then the love story kind of let me down. But if you are a fan of all things Cuban, I think this is a good uh, introduction to a very complicated but beautiful place. What's the time period? The time period, so it goes back and forth, flashbacks between the main character, Marisol, in 2017, and um, her grandmother in 1958, who's the daughter of a sugar baron, kind of a very wealthy Cuban family that ends up having wow. to flee because of the political tensions. So. You know, it has a lot of these um, political tensions, these dramatic, the saga love stories. But for me, there was a slight letdown. But the dress on the front is really pretty. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Cuba is like the perfect location to pick in terms of time travel because it's just so gripping for some reason. I just, you know, you imagine colors, you imagine warm people, mm -hmm. you imagine music and dancing and food and just like character, so much character. Exactly. And you get those descriptions, you know, it gets that fix for you. So all these descriptions of those uh, old convertibles that are bright colors against the buildings, the beach, you really feel like you're there. It's beautifully mm -hmm. done. Nostalgia's come up quite a bit today, mm -hmm. which I think is quite interesting because when I was looking at travel and books, I was thinking always, okay, places I've never been before, you know, stuff that I can aspire to like someday stuff that I will save up for like one big massive blowout trip where I travel the world and there's nothing like easy about it it's all challenging there are sled dogs <laughs> there's some undersea exploring if I could go in a submersible to see the Titanic I would you can't do that anymore though and it used to cost us an awful lot of money when I was thinking about this I was always like looking towards the future I wasn't looking back and I think it's really interesting that you, your focus has been, well, somewhat like time mm. travel in the yeah. past. And there's actually something that I wanted to read you because one of the places that I'm most sad about the fact that 
I've always wanted to see in person and I know is never going to happen. And it's the sun rising over the earth and seeing it from the International Space Station, like seeing the earth from space. You sound so sad. You could, baby. You could. I don't, I don't understand not being sad about like, it's the pinnacle for me of what you could experience in terms of the, un- like exploring the unknown, either that or being in the Mariana Trench. I'm very jealous of James Cameron. <laughs> but yeah. And, and one of the things that I found was they interviewed astronauts about kind of how do you, how do you describe space to people who haven't mm-hmm. been? And um, there was an astronaut called Luca Parmitano, and he said that we haven't yet developed the words to truly convey the realities of spaceflight. The building blocks of modern human communication words are necessarily constrained by meaning and connotation. No matter which language you choose, and it says in brackets, Parmitano speaks five, so he would possibly know. And until the mid 20th century, there was no need to express what it means to see our planet in the fiercely primeval essence of space. We just don't think in terms of spaceflight, he says. So I think that as a challenge for kind of where to go with language, when our physiology hasn't yet grasped what it mm. is to be in that 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 space. Yeah. And Annabelle, if there's anything that 2020 has taught us is that anything is possible. So don't give up. <laughs> yes, indeed. Highly unlikely. But thank you. <laughs> you never, you know. never know. You um, never know. But it is interesting that you have this desire to go everywhere and see everything and experience all these things that are very limited. And I was talking to a friend about this yesterday that it's so interesting that some people really have that need to go and do that, whereas others are quite content staying in the town where they're from forever and maybe going on holiday once a year to a place that they've been before. And -hmm. they're perfectly happy, which I think I find that fascinating that, you know, what we need as humans is can be so very different. I think it also depends on your stage in life. When I was in my 20s, I wanted, you know, the furthest place possible. It's as if I would throw a dart at a map and see like, where is the furthest point from where I am? And I would want to go there from Brazil to Costa Rica, Australia, whatever it is. And now my husband is saying, should we do a staycation in Ras al-Khaimah? And I'm like, why? You know, we're fine here in the garden. (laughs) I think... um, also, having yeah. young children is quite tiring, and it makes you think differently about travel. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Yeah, that's something that I wanted to ask you. Actually, is has you know have, have things changed <laughs> since you had kids in terms of how you think about travel? Oh yeah. Oh, how they've changed <laughs> in so many ways. How have they stayed the same? Is what you should be asking. Well, how have they stayed um, the same? In two ways, I can think of. I don't know if you agree, but I still need to breathe, so that's similar to before. <laughs> and I, my preference is to eat as well, although that's optional sometimes. Yes, I also treat myself by drinking water. That's the same. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's just different. Your your priorities are different. You're looking for more safety and comfort, maybe. Um, Before, I would have no qualms about getting on a small, rickety propeller airplane that's going to take me up a mountain to some crazy rainforest, whereas now, even if I'm without the children, I'm like, but my life matters more because I'm their mother, so I have to be careful. So I, I think I've calmed down a lot, but I'm so glad that I traveled as much as I did in the past. And I think... 
wanting, having a desire for new experiences is there. It's just mm-hmm. manifests itself differently. So it's maybe not as adventurous, but it's still, a, you know, far reaching or that different scope. It doesn't go away, it just changes, it evolves. You probably have like a few years of calming down where you just need to focus on what's what's safe and what's easy and you know can you a few years ago it was all about can I put my child to bed for a nap in the middle of the day which is ridiculous when you're trying to travel somewhere but then I think when you come out on the other side I see my friends starting to travel again um like normal people you know taking (laughs) taking trains places which it's impossible if you need to bring a cop with you. So it's a lot of logistics. I remember last summer we took a trip to the Cotswolds because I'd read a book. I think it was um, just a lighthearted romantic book, Katie Furor. I can't remember the name exactly. <laughs> the Country Escape, something like that. So I convinced my husband we were in the Cotswolds and it was beautiful. And my kids were just not into it. And it just kind of ruined it for me you know true i think they're still very very young and right now it's about comfort um to andrea's points do they have access to a place to nap all of these little things that you may not think of for yourself uh so it just changes slightly but that feeling of wanting new experiences and to see new things doesn't go away my son lately has been asking me mama can we travel to japan instead of japan this is japan (laughs) like what are you watching on youtube (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's it isn't it mm-hmm. my um my my children have been watching something on youtube and they really want to go to um south florida and i'm like yeah okay yeah sounds okay my five-year-old is obsessed <laughs> with japan for reasons i'm not sure <laughs> well i'd like to join them there that sounds like a good place to want to go i think also in the in the travel industry in the last 10 15 years so uh, the um adventure travel segment has really taken off because people want to, like you say, you, they want to something different from the daily, their daily lives. So if that is hiking up Machu Picchu, that's something they'll remember forever if they just sit in an office the rest of the time. And now with the rise of Instagram, I was going to say the same thing. So everyone wants yeah. that hero shot in some place that looks you know, majestic or zip lining or whatever it is. So Sipping a cocktail at a five-star hotel by a pool isn't going to cut it anymore in the same way. Certainly not if you're in Dubai. Because <laughs> that's just daily life. <laughs> it's funny, before living here, I used to, sun and sand and all these things that we have here used to be, have a whole different value to me. Because I lived yeah. somewhere that was cold and rainy and, you know, mm. inconvenient on the tube and, and so on. Um, but now... I, I could probably do without beaches. I think I, I quite I get enough of that here. Yeah, um, I think a bit, of, a bit of snow and cold and dark would be okay now. Like ski Dubai. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> we have everything here. That's it from us today. But we would love to hear from you, our listeners, about which books you would recommend about or set in your favorite holiday destination. Pop a comment below if you are watching on YouTube or send us a message on social media. You can also email us on comms at emiratesliftfest.com. We will be sending a selection of books to the person who makes the best recommendation. So do keep your comments coming. That is all for this week, but you can join us next time when we will be talking about the authors or books from the Arab world that everyone should know. Bye for now. Bye. Bye.
Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you.